This week on the Straight Talk, a mental health podcast, we are talking cancer with Angelica Allen. Here's a taste of what's coming up. You know, when I was diagnosed with stage three by cancer, I realized that I had run myself to the ground. And for me, it was very much like, oh my God, like I've just been running around like a headless chicken for the last 20 years. And because I was so young, they said, uh, the oncologist told me, we need to give you the strongest chemo your body can take. Because you are very young, there is no family history, so we're just going to blast everything inside you. People ask you, like, how are you? You don't want to be saying, like, I feel like shit, you know, Mm. every five minutes. Because people get tired of that too. I don't like using the word fighting cancer. I never fought cancer. In actual fact, I was tired of fighting. I embraced cancer. Episode 120 of the Straight Talking Mental Health Podcast. The podcast is so simple, I've said it all. We're straight talking mental health. My name is Alan Clark. I'm a psychotherapist with a degree in counseling and psychotherapy and a master's in child and adolescent psychotherapy. As our regular listeners will know, this is not a psychotherapy podcast, but we do talk mental health and sometimes I put my therapist hat on. As I said, I am a psychotherapist in private practice and I'm here with a goal, as all of our guests are to come on, to straight talk mental health. We do that to try and break the stigma around mental health, to normalize these conversations. And we don't just do that by having, you know, just an expert come on to talk about a topic. We do that through people's stories, the lived experience of our guests who come on, such as today, where we are going all the way down to Australia, but we are not talking to an Aussie. We're talking to a Brazili, a Brazili who's in Brizzy, a Brazilian in Brisbane. Angelica Allen is here to tell us her story of when she was diagnosed with stage 3 bowel cancer. She's got a fascinating story to tell us. She tells us what it's like to be brought into the hospital and then all of a sudden be undergoing major surgery to have parts of her bowel removed. One day you're in work, the next you're not in work for another year. As you go through chemotherapy, she tells us about the experience of what that's like. And she describes it as like an atomic bomb going off in your body every two weeks as she underwent chemo. She tells us about the impact it had on her, her mental health, her physical health. And what you'll hear from Angelica's story is how important it is to be active uh, in the recovery of your physical health within that. She also tells us what it was like for her husband, who was dealing with her and her two children at the time, her two small children at the time. So that's a fascinating story. That is what is coming up later on. So stick around for that. Before all of that, if you haven't already, you know what to do. I'm going to plug the social media by now. And that is Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and they're all up there, all with the username STMH Podcast. So that's at STMH Podcast across the board, and that is also the handle on the YouTube channel. So if you haven't already, if you haven't visually checked out the the episodes of the podcast, you should do that. It's pretty cool. You get to see your guests, you can see what they're going, and you might get a few more visuals on the screen, as you will in this week when you will get to see where I talk about my own tumour, which was thankfully benign, but I've also got a, a cool scar down the back of my spine. i got a picture of that coming up in the discussion with um, with Angelica later on. And there's some other details that are on, visually there that aren't always there that you will get with the podcast-only audio version of the podcast. So if you haven't already, please do check out the, the YouTube channel, hit subscribe, drop a comment down below, comment, all of that sort of stuff. You know, general youtube content creator, general requests <laughs> so please do check that out 
If you haven't checked out the website, you can do that. That is www.stmhpodcast.com. There you can sign up to our newsletter. You can also search all of the previous episodes of the podcast. So, you know, I know, of course, you can Google different different podcasts and it'll bring up the podcast. But if you actually go onto the website, you can, you know, there's different tags. It's going to identify more keywords. So if there's a particular topic that you're looking for, just go onto the website, check it out. That's going to, it'll give you, all of the show notes for each episode, all of the audio episodes of the podcast, that's going to be there. You can also sign up for the newsletter. The newsletter is where every week that the podcast comes out, so the fortnight, the podcast is, of course, fortnightly, and every two weeks, you will get an email directly to your inbox. Bang, there you go. Nice little reminder that the podcast is out. So you can also do that on the website. If you'd like to come on and tell your story, if you've got a story to tell or if you've got some feedback on any of the previous episodes, I would love to hear from you. It's it's always nice to, to know who's out there listening and what, and what you make of the episodes that we're putting out. So if you want to email, you can do that. That is hello at stmhpodcast.com. If you don't want to come on and, t- and tell your story as a guest, you can also email that in as a correspondence or DM me on any of the any of the social media. And I will read that out as we had on the episode last week. We had a fairly heavy fairly intense uh, correspondence around uh, mother-on-daughter sexual abuse and what that was like for the, the correspondent that got in touch. Didn't want to come on and tell the story, and that's absolutely fine, but I'm happy to, to read out anyone's story that is happy to is happy to email if you don't want to come on and tell it yourself. So that is the social media plug out of the way. I mentioned last episode. Our last episode was on postpartum depression. Uh, we've had a bit of a theme with all of the women lately, and we've got another woman uh, this week with Angelica. But last last episode, we had... Sus- oh, man, this, this name is always so hard to pronounce. I, I have to make a real conscious effort. Suzanne Yatim Aslam. So we had Suzanne, who was on, on last episode. Great guest. We got into a good bit of chat about acting. I actually had to cut some of that out because we, we, we were talking so much about acting. Uh, really love that chat with Suzanne. If you haven't already, you can check that out. So bang, that's where I always plug in the last week's episode on YouTube. So if you're watching, bing, there it is up there. Uh, great episode. An awful lot to take away from that episode last week, or last, last two weeks ago. One for me is Suzanne's honesty. You know, and I've seen this in, in clients in private practice. She came on and she held her hand up and made her go, fucking, I hate being a mother. You know, I don't think I love my child and all of that. Everything else that she had to she had to say for herself, you know, that these thoughts that many, many mothers do have. But of course, you can't express them because this is the joy of your life and it's wonderful to be a mother and blah, blah, blah. And everything else that goes along with that. But Suzanne, unbeknownst to herself for two years, she was suffering from postpartum depression. So in the episode, she tells us about the difference between the baby blues versus postpartum. And uh, the other thing that stood out for me, which was actually very interesting, she had asked me to point, uh, sorry, folks, you're going to have to excuse me. I have got a head cold. <laughs> I get into that in the discussion later on. So if I do sound a little bit nasally more than usual or I'm coughing and spluttering, my sincerest apologies. Uh, this is what it's like to be surrounded by children all the time and constantly getting sick. So my apologies on the head cold front. I can feel myself all bunged up. So I know that's probably carrying through as you listen. So my apologies. But the other, the other, one of the other points Suzanne was making was around Harry Potter. She asked if she's a Harry Potter fan, and she likened her depression to the Dementors, which are in Harry Potter. Uh, un, unsure if Suzanne is aware of it, but actually J.K. Rowling in in writing Harry Potter, and prior to that she had her own history of depression, and and the actual Dementors are in Harry Potter are there as a a metaphor and a manifestation of her own depression. So J.K. Rowling's depression. 
not too dissimilar from Suzanne's depression of what it's like to feel all the all of the good stuff and feeling that you'll never be happy again. So that was an interesting point that Suzanne also made last week. Another very interesting point I feel Suzanne made last week was for the mothers that aren't suicidally suffering, you know, a 10 out of 10 on how bad you're suffering. Suzanne, as she said, she was she was one of these people that's at a seven that there's no real support for. You kind of fall through the cracks. You know, you're kind of, you're grand, you're grand, you're grand until you're really, really not grand. And that's when you get the help. And I thought that was an excellent point that she made that, well, what happens to these that, to these women that are, you know, bad, but not really, really bad, you know, that are told to just oh, get a little bit of extra help or get a nap during the day and, and stuff like that. So I thought that was a very interesting point that Suzanne had made as well. But that was a great episode. And as we treat, as we tend to have, we tend to always have great episodes. We have great guests coming on, telling their stories. So that was the last episode, episode 119 of the Straight Talk on Mental Health podcast. This is episode 120, 120 episodes. That's a that's a pretty big number, actually. When I think back, when I think back to it, three years I think the podcast is in May, but we are now into into February. So a happy Valentine's Day to everyone. Um, you know, if you're in a couple, I hope you're enjoying it for what it is. Don't take it as the hallmark holiday. If you're single, it's fucking shit. Let's be honest. Uh, it's not nice seeing all the, the loved up stuff and all of the uh, the lovey dovey couple advertisements and blah blah blah. All the um, declarations of devotion that aren't fucking there in real life, but you need a, you need a photograph for Instagram or Facebook. So don't believe the hype, as Public Enemy once said. And look after yourself if you're single. Maybe do something nice for yourself. I mean, I think that's some good advice. You know, do you you do you on this day. And look after yourself because it can be tough, and it can be tough if you're single and you're so, and you're seeing everyone that's that's loved up. Apparently, whether they are or not is another different story. But uh, please, everyone, look after yourself. If you're loved up, enjoy it. Appreciate your loved one for who they are. I think with all of that being said, let's just throw over to Angelica. It's the crack of dawn where I am. I'm up early on my day off. We've had technical difficulties, but we're getting there. <laughs> we hope on this occasion because it is morning time in Ireland where I am. It's freezing cold. There's frost on my car outside. I'm dying of a head cold. But the person who doesn't like she looks like she's dying of a head cold and who doesn't look quite cold at the moment <laughs> is all the way over in Australia. But she, she she tried to throw me. She tried to throw me with the accent. But I, I know where she's at now. I, I was expecting a full on Aussie accent. But I've got a I've got a hybrid Brazilian Aussie, maybe a little bit of European in there as well for all the time she spent yeah. there. But we're crossing for the first time to Australia to speak to our guest today, Angelica Allen. Angelica, how are you? I am good. Thank you so much. And thank you for being patient. It looks like that your internet cables are frozen. Yeah. <laughs> I think yours are cooking. It's not It's not on my end. It's your side. <laughs> yours are frying away. In what temperature is it at the moment? Uh, so it's six o'clock in the evening and it's about 28 degrees Celsius. <sighs> I don't want to make you too jealous. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, too late. <laughs> it's all right. I, I'll, I'll put on my psych- psychotherapist hat. I, I will approach this with non-judgment, and uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll not let envy get the better of me here today. <laughs> that's awesome. whereabouts in Australia at the minute, then, Angelica? So I am in Brisbane. Uh, so that's the east coast. Um, well, I think is the best state. is very sunny. Sunny. 350 days Mm. a year and this is exactly Mm. why i'm here as we were talking about before i lived in your side of the world you know from brazil i lived in europe for 10 years i lived in new zealand 
but my Brazilian heart never liked the cold. I really tried and I tried hard, uh, but <laughs> it, it was just not for me. So I love the weather here. It's always sunny. It's beautiful. Mm. Oh, very good. Well, you're you're lucky. You've you've moved from one one warm place to to another warm place. I actually stand corrected. You're our second guest from Australia. We had Hannah, who was on before, who was our episode on sex worker. Uh, I can't remember what state she was in, uh, but whatever state she was in, it's it's legal to be a sex worker. So we have had uh, you're our first. You're definitely our first Brazilian, but you're yeah. our second guest. Our second guest from from uh, Australia. Before we kick off, Angelica, for our first-time listeners to the show, what we do on the show is we have our little feature called Smiles and Riles. So this is something that's made us smile during the week or something that's made us smile recently or something that's got us riled, something that's pissed us off or, or got us down. Uh, as the guest, you get, to, you get to have your choice. So that is whether you go with your smile first or your rile first. So, so what's it going to be? Well, for me, it's going to be definitely smiles, and I don't want to make you jealous again, but we uh, have been traveling as a family for the last three months around Australia. We had a little opportunity in between our rental property, you know, expiring and waiting for our new house to be built. And we said, you know what, instead of getting another rental, let's just buy a caravan and go traveling around Australia. So we took it off in about October and with my two kids, they're 10 and 8, my husband and I, and we travel all around up north and through the middle and back again. And it's just been one of the most amazing things that I've ever done. And there was this moment when we were all sitting together inside a caravan having dinner that I kind of took a deep breath and I stopped. And I kind of looked at my kids and my husband and said, you know what? I am so blessed that we're doing this together. I feel so happy you know, to have had this opportunity to spend so much time together and I know sometimes it was difficult but it was just so special <laughs> to really do this with my kids while they're still young and hopefully they can remember this you know forever so it was kind of that moment where you know life froze and I was just really uh inhaling the moment what an experience and I, I think it's safe to say that they will remember that experience for the rest of their lives what, what age are your kids they're 10 and 8 so I'm hoping they okay. will. Oh, yeah. they're, they're definitely remembering this for the rest of their life. What, what was the highlight of that trip for you then, Angelica? Outside of that little moment, anything you've seen or anything you experienced that you're like, oh, Gosh, yeah. Australia has everything. It's just such a beautiful country. Mm. Like we went through beaches, desert, mountains, um, rivers. Um, I think for me, the highlight was definitely up north in Queensland, where, I, you know, the state that I live in, which is kind of really tropical forests. Uh, you can't really go in the sea because there is some saltwater crocodiles that could potentially eat you. <laughs> Just That's fucking Australia. Everything, everything is trying to eat you or kill you in Australia. We all know that. Like, <laughs> and there was also some jellyfish. So there was like the jellyfish uh, season. So we had to swim like in in between the nets. But it's just magical. Like you, you, you know, you could be like in a beach that on the background is like you know tropical forest, and it's just so so spectacular. And then for me, it was also to see Uluru, which is the big rock in the middle of the desert, which is the famous kind of postcard for Australia. And that, mm. you know, that place is so special. It has kind of some sort of energy that you can't explain. You can't stop looking at the, you know, the Ez Rock. And, the, you know, it's just a really a, an incredible place. And I never expected to feel, you know, like that that energy around the place. So that was really special as well. But I mean, for anyone, Australia, like I said, it has everything, every, every landscape, 
uh, that you can possibly imagine. So I would definitely, you know, like come here and travel around because it's a beautiful place, yeah, to see. And that completes the sponsorship by the Australian Tourist Board through Angelica. (laughs) (laughs) I think think Australia sells itself. I don't think it needs you to sell it, Angelica. (laughs) Uh, One of the other things is I don't think people get the actual size of Australia. Yeah. When you look at the yeah, map, I, mean, I don't think I don't think it gives a, an accurate scale of the absolute size that is Australia. Yeah. It is pretty crazy. Like we took us from the coast to travel to Uluru six days uh, to get that because we had a caravan, right? And when we came back to Brisbane, we said, oh, let's go to the beach. The beach is about 45 minutes to an hour from Brisbane. And we went to the beach. We we're like, oh, that was, that was just like around the corner. <laughs> you know because you're so used to travel you know so many hours in a day we're like oh that's just like going to the park for us now uh yeah it it, the the distance are like insane like i think we've done ten thousand kilometers um easy it's just yeah like really really a lot to see a lot to cover and once you start getting on the outback it's just like outback there is nothing there so um, mm-hmm. it's just like get petrol when you can, get food when you can, get water when you can, because you don't know when the next place is going to be. So um, it's really, really, uh, it can be quite remote as well. So it was, yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was amazing for the kids to see that too. All right. Um, well, I'm, go- I'm going to keep my royal because it's going to, it's going to segue into our, into our topic today, but uh, I'll start, I'll, um, I have, to, I have to think of a smile. All, all the technical difficulties now have, have thrown me off this morning. I think, I think kind of somewhat similar to uh, you spending time with your family, spending time with my partner. Uh, just, you know, just those little moments, just chilling out at the weekend, uh, not doing anything special, just watching a TV show um, to find something that she will actually watch is a fucking miracle. <laughs> so it's it's one of these frustrating things where we have to watch something she's already watched and um we, we don't have the same taste in tv shows so to actually find something that we're like oh this is all right let's 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 watch this yeah. uh, but kind of lost her about three or four episodes in she's like yeah i don't know if i'm feeling this i'm like oh for fuck's sake here we go again <laughs> so but but for those for those i suppose an hour and a half three three episodes of a half hour show it was really nice. <laughs> so yeah, that's but like that, just just that little, just those little moments of um, uh, just chilling out on the couch, just watching TV show. Nothing, nothing major, nothing, nothing spectacular yeah. about it. Just, just oh, this is really nice. Uh, so just, just one of those little moments that, that you get in life. Uh, not not as big as yours, Angelica. You know, I'm we're, sorry. we're not creating those kind of memories, but uh, I guess we can't have it all. <laughs> So that, that's my yeah. smile this week. What, what have you got for me for as a royal? I'm trying to think about it. I think, okay, so yeah, I think, okay, I can think about it now. Okay, so so that's what happened at the beginning of our trip. Um, mm. You know, we had set off. It was like a couple of weeks. My husband ended up in hospital with a really bad sciatica crisis, which is something he's never had. So he... I had to pack the house. He couldn't move. He was barely walking. All he could do was to drive the van. And it got two weeks in, like two weeks in, it was raining kind of nonstop. And I thought, oh my God. And we had water in the caravan. The caravan was new. 
And you had, I had this moment thinking like, oh my God, I don't think we did the right thing here. I think this is just, I mean, this is just not going to work. Like my husband can't do anything. You know, now it's raining in the cab. You know, when you have this moment, like the kids are going crazy because we have to stay inside the caravan because it's raining. And, you know, mm. that really, you know, on the flip side taught me something that, you know, when sometimes you start reading a book and you think like, oh, I don't know, you know, if I like this book or watching a movie, I don't know. You know, and the juicy things, you know, it's a kind of the middle, the end. And also it taught me a lot about, you know, like I said, life is all about the ups and downs, you know. And while we were in the caravan, a big thing um, that really we had to adjust to was that each person, you know, and my kids included, they are their own people now, right? They're on their, their own person and they have their own expectations of life and how they want the day to go and what they want to do. And it was kind of the adjustment period that I kind of thought, I don't know if I can do this, you know, when everything is going wrong. And it was a matter of like almost shifting my energy and, you know, talking to my husband to doing that too. So we can start going back up again, if you know what I mean. And, you know, we got the caravan fixed and, you know, and then we were in a row and then things got like better and better and better. But, you know, it's really interesting, you know, when you talk about it, you know, like, oh my God, it was an amazing trip, but that doesn't mean that every mm. moment of it, it was just easy. Yeah, so that's the that's, that's the yin to the yang, I suppose, the, the smile, the royal to the smile and stuff like that. Whereas it's not all bad, it's not always all good, and where it's all good, it's always, there's always a bit of bad in there as well. But thankfully, you yeah. you managed and you survived and everyone is, everyone <laughs> yeah. is keeping on yeah and i think just getting used to each other and getting used to a new routine getting used to doing things differently and you know one thing i really noticed as well is that life gets so busy you know you mm -hmm. you take the kids to school and you come home and then they have extracurricular activities and then the homework and then you have dinner and then they go to bed and it was almost like you you know i felt that i got to know them more you know, I, I, we got to talk to them. We got to kind of stop and like have real conversations and, and deep conversations. And, you know, and I think that, you know, life gets so busy, you know, we're trying to do so many things um, that it's, it's really hard for us to, to make the time to doing that, you know, with our kids and even with ourselves, right. As a couple as well. So, mm. you know, when, when we came back, I kind of said to, to, to the kids, you know, like this, term we're not going to do any extracurriculum activities we're just going to take it easy go to school come back and just kind of easy into kind of this busy life because it, it can get too much i think once you you know like the once you experience a contrast you start appreciating other things in life as well you know why why do they have mm. to do 500 different things like like swimming scootering you know piano this, that, and the, you know, why do they have to do that? You know, like they don't have to do any of it, you know, and you, why do they have to go from one thing to another? Why do you have to, you know, just mm. do this crazy thing, you know? And, and it really highlighted to us that too, that, you know, time spent yeah, sitting next to each other, watching a program on the TV, it's more valuable than anything. Yeah, again, the the little moments. And I think you're absolutely right, and I and I see it with many parents that I work with as a therapist in in private practice that, you know, they're constantly trying to fill the kids' times, 
every day there's yeah. some different activity and then then the weekend has to be full with this and then it has to oh we can and we have to do that and we have to do that and then I have to yeah. pick up this person and then I have to I have to drop them and then have to go and pick up the other two kids and they've they've got this and they've got that and you're like Jesus that's like fucking exhausting. Yeah. yeah, it does create I think some stress, you know, at at their age. I don't think it's necessary, right? And even when we were traveling, we kind of said to them, look, you know, technology time is it can only be an hour a day. We did a little bit of homeschooling at the beginning because it was still the time mm. here. So we kind of um, had to kind of do some homeschooling with them. But, and you know, and they said like, oh, what should we do? You know, like, well, just look out of the window or just look at the people walking past, you know, kids are losing mm. disability. And you probably know a lot about that, you know, disability mm. of just um, being bored, you know, just not doing anything, not just, you know, this crazy span of attention going from one thing to another, you know, having to see things quick, 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 quick. And, you know, for them it was really good to kind of practice a different way of life as well, you know, and not having everything instant, you know, and some day, like mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, we didn't have internet, you know, and it's like, wow, we're in the outback, you know, there's no internet. Um, but, you know, I really want to do this. Well, you can't do it. That's it. You know, you have <laughs> to find to something else to do it. <laughs> you know, so that it, it was really interesting for them also to experience that. Um, you know, not not that they love all the time. You know, so they got really mm. they got really smart at it. So, are we going to have internet on our kind of next campsite or? <laughs> mm. <laughs> and and yeah, that's exactly what I said to parents: is like, kid, kids need kids need to be bored you know and because it invites you to use your imagination it invites you to create something it's like oh i don't know well we just went outside oh we found a few bugs and we were playing with them it's like oh great you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have done yeah. that if you had the internet you know um, and i think that i am a very much a person like that i'm always wanting to do something you know like this kind of type a personality you know like i like mm. going from one thing to another and you know not getting too much into the theme that we're going to talk today but you know when i was diagnosed with stage three by cancer i realized that i had run myself to the ground and for me it was very much like oh my god like i've just been running around like a headless chicken for the last 20 years never stopping mm-hmm. from one moment and no wonder why i'm left in this situation and not so much feeling like a victim, but like just feeling like, wow, like that's crazy that I've done this to myself. You know, like that's just insane. And, you know, and it took me a while to get there. Like I had an emergency surgery and I had four weeks to recover before I started my chemo. And when I had my first chemo session, um, I used to have a peak line and I would go to hospital on a Friday and they would inject like five hours of chemo inside my body. And then I would have a pump pumping into chemo through this, uh, a little baby bottle through the same thick line. And on Sunday, a nurse would come to disconnect the pump. And I remember her coming into the room and she said, oh, you don't look good. And I almost said, oh, thanks. Could you have said something <laughs> more positive? And it's almost like the way she left me, I just slid myself into the bed. And I had this moment of saying, oh, my God, like, I can't even lift a finger. I can't even breathe. Like, I have to, I, I need to hold on to my breath right now. And I just kind of had this overwhelming feeling of thinking, 
Like, why did I do this? Why did I run myself to the ground? I knew it wasn't only the chemo. I knew it wasn't only the cancer. Well, the cancer wasn't already inside me because I had the emergency surgery to take it out. But I was like, that's that was just pointless. I'm now fighting for my own life here because I just couldn't stop. Let's 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 go back to the start, Angelica. I was I was going to segue. You you've already segued. You you saved me the job. Sorry, I was going sorry. To, I was going to segue in with my royal. My royal was going to be having a head cold. <laughs> you know, quite trivial in in terms of what we're talking about. Uh, but it it was it was the, the the planned segue in my head as we were talking was, you know, it's it's really not until you're sick that you appreciate your health. You know, and as someone that's, you know, you mentioned your husband's sciatica, you know, I've had I've had spinal tumors, I've had herniated discs. So, you know, I know what it's like to, to live in pain. And and likewise, you know, when you when you wake up with a head cold, it's like, oh, fuck, yeah. I forgot it was healthy. <laughs> Yesterday I was fine. And then the middle of the night, you're kind of coughing and spluttering a little bit. And, um, you know, I got it from my partner's daughter. She's she's three and we were asleep the other night and I. It was about four o'clock in the morning, half four in the morning. I was like, she's coughing an awful lot. I just, that, that parent, you know, you've got it. You know, you just got yeah. that ear out. It's like the spidey yeah. sense starts tingling. So she got, in, she got into the bed with us and I was, you know, she were, we have a very, very close bond. And she was like, oh, I want Ali. She calls me Ali. And she got in and I was, I was like, I was snuggling into her. And of course she's coughing and spluttering in my face. Um, and I'm not thinking at this time, I'm just, I'm just trying to comfort her. And then it was about 20 minutes yeah. of that. I was like. Oh shit! I don't want to get fucking sick. The damage was done. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, she passed on her germs. I picked up the head cold. Um, but like that, that you, you know, it's like oh fuck, and you're waking up and you're, oh, I feel terrible, and you're coughing and you're all stuffy and mm. um. So as much as the, as the small royal that is, it segues into what I was going to say with you was that you know that appreciation. You don't appreciate your health when you're healthy. No. It's it's only when you yeah. get sick or there's something wrong and you're like, oh my god, you know, I, I'll never take it for granted again. But 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 you do. Um, so yeah. that that segue from appreciating health segues into let's go back. You've touched on it already of your diagnosis of of bowel cancer, but let's go back to the start of that and what happened. How did you find out? Where did all of this journey yeah. start? Yeah. Um, so yeah, just when you talk about this, like, you know, not appreciating health until you get sick, you know, there's always that saying to say, you know, health is your wealth. And I think, you know, mm. health is your priority. A lot of people say that, but they don't live by that. And I think it's not until you get sick and real sick that you realize that, well, you can either make a decision here, right? I either cultivate my health and I either work on it daily or I will just, you know, do a bit here and then forget about it later. You know, I was diagnosing, it's, it's going to be almost five years now. Um, I, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't kind of in pain. There was no signs whatsoever that I was going to be diagnosed with stage three back cancer. I was just iron deficient. But because I'm a woman, they thought it could have been related to my period. I was bloated and I was exhausted. Mm. That's it. Exhaustion is something that, you know, every cancer patient, and I've interviewed a lot of people as well, you know, in podcasts, that it's the one common thing that cancer patients have. And, and you know, 
people are not going to go to the a mom is not going to go to the doctor and say hey you know i am 38 years old i've got a six and a four years old i'm exhausted and i work full time oh really no you know you're gonna you're gonna get diagnosed with a bad dose of parenting (laughs) (laughs) you know you know you're just not gonna do it one you don't want to look weak let's face it right you don't want to look weak who who does that anyway you know Mm. two what is the doctor going to do? Like the doctor's going to be like, well, love, you know, you work full time, got two kids. Yeah. Life is busy. No, you know, no wonder why you're exhausted. Let's do, do some blood tests, which in my case was like, okay, you are deficient, take iron tablets. So I was taking iron tablets by the way. And as soon as I stopped taking the iron tablets after eight months, I would get iron deficient again. So I was kind of in the middle of being investigated for either the gynecology side to see, you know, if my periods were, uh, you know, causing the iron deficiency. Mm. And my doctor said to me, by then I had started having some bowel movements. It was about three months before my diagnosis. And she said, maybe, you know, there's something, you know, that we need to look with the gastroenterologist as well. But, you know, I was going into work every day. I had, I think I had one sick day in the last year, previous to my diagnosis. I was pushing myself to the limit. I was so exhausted that on a Saturday, I would watch a movie with my kids and I would pass out. Like I would go to another world. But I kind of thought, you know, I just have to push through it. You know, and I think this is why your message is so important here. Like the mental health is the acknowledgement of, you know, things are not going well here. And, you know, we... Although there is a lot more talks about it, we still have a tendency to suppress. You know, mm. I'm 43 years old now, and I still come from that generation. And I don't know if, you know, I have spoken to uh, young people that are in their 20s that have been through burnout. And I'm like, burnout in your 20s? Like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's serious. You know, that's serious. And, you know, I still feel that there is this underlining pressure that, you know, there's talks about it, but not many people want to put their hand up and say, I am actually not okay. You know, I'm I'm actually not doing very well. So by the time I went to uh, the, I went to emergency because I woke up feeling unwell and I didn't want to eat and I'm a good eater and I eat a lot. And I kind of didn't feel like eating. And I thought, that's weird. And because, you know, there was already a few things that we were investigating, I said to my husband, uh, his auntie was here from the UK. My husband is English. And she said, I think you need to go to emergency. And I, I had a kind of a moment that almost like my body intuition told me, you need to go to emergency. And I did. And the doctors looked at me, you know, like this young no family history of anything sinister. They're like, look, I'm sorry. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. What do you think is going to be wrong with you? Are you sure? You know, don't feel like eating. What does that mean? Anyway, after an hour of inquiring me, they put me through a CT machine, which, you know, they are right to, to make sure that people, you know, they don't put everybody through the CT machine. And that's when they saw that my bowel had gone inside itself. Even though they saw that, they didn't say it was cancer straight away because none of my blood work showed that there was anything wrong. So the more I kept saying to them, you know, I still don't feel well, the more that they kind of start speaking about this could be cancer. 
And then another day passed by, I didn't eat. Another day, I didn't eat. Another day, I didn't eat. And then they kind of said, look, um, we need to operate you. And I was lucky that one of the senior consultants looked at my paperwork and my you know, CT and, and everything. And he said, this is definitely cancer. And I think I can come in tomorrow and do it uh, laparoscopy um, surgery to take it out and rejoin the bowel. Because at the beginning, they were talking about splitting me in half, opening up, uh, which could have been a disaster. I also had like a poo back tapped on the other side of it. It, it, it was not pretty, the situation. And I was really lucky. The senior consultant came in, was kind of an angel. He took the cancer out, which was close to the rectum, rejoined my bowel, and I recovered really well. It was incredible what he did. Every time I still have lots of checks and I see, I still see him and I'm like, oh my God, you saved my life. And then he's like, okay. <laughs> because I'm so grateful for for what he's done it was a you know it was it was a, a can you imagine this like cutting two ends of a you know of a tube and then rejoin that you know in a laparoscopy surgery it was incredible what he did and of course that gave me the ability to recover quickly and to start chemo uh, a month later and because I was so young they said uh, the oncologist told me we need to give you the strongest chemo your body can take because you are very young, there is no family history, so we're just gonna blast everything inside you. So that was the message that I got. Um, and after that first chemo session, as I was talking a bit earlier, I kind of felt I don't know if I can do this another eleven times. It was rough. Um, it was really, really rough. Like I said, I was just holding on to my breath on that day. And I just kept saying to myself, just breathe. Like, don't think about anything else. Don't just literally take one minute by the next. And I spent that first session about four days in bed. My husband would come in and say, you know, do you want to listen to music? And I'll be like, I can't. Do you want to watch TV? And I'll be like, I can't. You know, do you want to do anything? And I'll be like, I can't. So going from somebody who was like type A, doing everything, 100 miles an hour to that person, I felt like I needed to learn how to walk again. I felt like I needed to learn how to speak again. You know, like when we see a little baby, I kind of felt like I just need to know how, I need to learn how to live again because the way that I'm leaving, you know, that I have been leaving is just not working anymore. So that's that's all quite instant. You go in, Go into the emergency, check you out. What what's it like to hear? What's it like to hear? As everyone knows, the other bad c word. What's what's it like to have that said to you? It's hard. Um, after the surgery, so I didn't even meet the surgeon. Um, I think the hardest bit was seeing my husband, saying goodbye to him, and leaving him behind. Um, because you know, as you can imagine, he was in pieces. He had to go home to a six and a four years old, hold it all together. We don't have any family here and not knowing if I was going to survive because it was an emergency surgery and it, it was a long one. It was like a six hours plus surgery. So that was really difficult. And when I came out, the surgeon came to see us and luckily my husband was next to me and he said, 
very gently. It was really interesting. He didn't use the C word straight away. He said, you know, did any, you know, surgery went really well. I had a really good look at your organs around, but, you know, it, it went really well, but, you know, every, everything is fine. But have they told you what we found? And I said, no. And he said, we definitely found a tumor. And I asked him, is there any chance that it's benign? And he said, I'm sorry. It is definitely cancer and it's stage three and you're going to need six months of chemo. And I just, you know, like when you kind of reach out to, to God in that moment, you know, like I believe in God and I thought like, are you serious? Like, like I, I, I can't, like I've got a six and a four years old to, to raise. I can't die right now. And those thoughts consumed me for a good couple of mm. weeks. I would wake up crying, you know, like you want to wake up and you think, no, please tell me this is not true. Please tell me that this is not true. And I would go to sleep sobbing my husband's arm, you know, just like, I just, I, I really need to live for my kids. And it wasn't until I had a day at home by myself and my husband took the kids to the beach. I put some sad music on and I just cried the whole day and I thought, that's it. You know, it was almost like as I, if I had let go of the sadness of the life that I had been living and what kind of had led me to that point. And I was kind of ready to, to tackle, you know, what was ahead of me. I don't like using the word fighting cancer. I never fought cancer. In actual fact, I was tired of fighting. I embrace cancer. I embrace cancer as an opportunity for me to grow, to learn, to heal, because I didn't have in me anymore to fight. I just had, you know, I felt like I've been fighting all my life and this clearly hasn't worked. I'm going to embrace this now and I'm just going to do things differently. And so it was kind of a, you know, a transition from being from two weeks, being in that really dark place to moving on to going, I think I can do this, you know, and I am going to do this. Yeah, and at, at that point, Angelica, I mean, outside of the exhaustion, I mean, is there any early kind of symptoms or warning signs of, you know, we're talking bowel cancer. I mean, are you having, is there difficulties with bowel movements? Is there, I mean, what what is there that could be a, an early indicator of, of bowel cancer? Yeah. So um, bowel cancer, you could have bloating. So I was bloated, but that could be, as a woman, it's very hard to detect because they could say it's your period, right? Mm -hmm. As a man, you would be sent straight away, like if you're bloated or, you know, to do a, have a colonoscopy done. But a woman is a little bit more tricky. Um, bloating, uh, bowel movement changes, you know, you know, if things start changing out of the ordinary, which I had, but only three months prior to my diagnosis the iron deficiency, um, and the exhaustion, really. Cancer is a really hard disease to diagnose. Mm. It, you know, I've interviewed so many people as well, and even, you know, different types of cancers, it's a really hard disease to diagnose. I mean, this is my theory after everything that I've researched and studied and, you know, done myself and helped people with. I really believe that cancer is such a complex disease that it's not just like a two plus plus is, you know, two plus two is four. You know, it's a, I believe it's a disease of the soul. It's an, you know, a lot of it is emotional. You know, for me, mm. it was definitely, 
So by the time it gets to the physical level, you know, it it's already so advanced to start with, but it, it just kind of comes in a little bit of a disguise. So it's a very, very difficult. My tumor markers, which is something that could have gone up, uh, it has never been elevated. So, you know, when they looked at it, my white cells, they were never elevated. There was nothing wrong with my bloods. There was nothing else that indicated that I had an inflammation, that I had anything wrong. Wow. Uh, I mean, you'd mentioned, you know, we're talking about cancer. We're talking about, you know, those, these cells, you know, they mutate and they grow and, and, and they go from there. Um, it's actually almost seven years to the day when I had spinal surgery for a tumor uh, on my on my own spine. And you had mentioned, yeah. you know, you're taking that time and that sadness you felt on your own when, when your husband and your kids weren't there. And I had had back, back problems for years. Um, mm. <laughs> I'll never forget how, how I found out. I went to a doctor, sent me for an MRI. Doctor at the time, Dr. Dwyer, for anyone in Calair. Everyone knows what he was like. A uh, real old school doctor. Like, you know, I had the old bag and, you know, I didn't fuck around kind of thing. <laughs> But, you, you know, you're ringing up for the test results and go, yeah, look, I, I still haven't heard any words on the results of that MRI. And he's like, oh, well, look, true, secretary puts me through. And, he, and I can hear him reading away. Oh, a tumor. I was like, what the fuck? So, yeah. Have that. I go, I've sent to see a specialist. He goes, okay, we're going to, we're going to have to send you for a full skull and upper body from yeah. waist up he said you typically don't get cancer cells in that area so if it's if it's cancer it's you know it's probably going to be in the brain and these these cells is red and i'm like mm. what the fuck fucking cancer in the brain and like exactly yeah and i'm fucking i'm freaking out so went for the mri had that done and then i'm waiting about two weeks for the oh. results and those two weeks were absolutely fucking horrendous so at this point yeah. i'm waiting to find out do i have cancer somewhere else have i got cancer in the yeah. brain or is there more cells anywhere else? And I had a moment uh, with uh, my son James. He's seven. Um, he had he was only so his birth is December, so he's like three months old at that point. Two months, two months old. Um, and I was in I was in the car with his mom, and I just broke down crying. Uh, I just broke yeah. down crying of this two weeks of waiting to find out, and just well, what if I die? And he grows up without a dad, and and it wasn't it wasn't yeah. that. I wasn't crying for myself. I was crying yeah. at the prospect of this two month old baby losing losing his yeah. father. So I get the yeah. I get the um I get the results of the MRI and it comes back. I got, there's there's no cells anywhere else. I go in and have the surgery. I go in and have the surgery. I think it was the eighth of February. We're currently recording on the ninth. This goes out on, on Valentine's Day. And you know, I go in and they cut me open and take out the tumor and then eventually get the results that it's that it's benign but uh, as as, you, as you've mentioned and you kind of said it there earlier of the toll on your physical health but the toll on yeah. your mental health with, with yeah. this hanging over you the uncertainty and and, and where it goes from there yeah. i mean I, I don't think people talk i, I don't think people, under, people understand that element of it the mental health toll yeah. never mind the physical toll yeah Chemo, you know, of course, you're like, basically, when you start going to that chemo train, you know, I call it that chemo tunnel, tunnel, like, you know, like, it's, it's every day, you have a doctor's appointment, they're taking blood from you, I had the pick line, I had to go and clean every, it's just a nonstop, like, people pricking and prodding you, like, it's nonstop physical pain, 
I was also, I felt nauseous for 24-7. I would wake up nauseous. You know, I, I didn't have any relief. And that starts taking a toll on your mental health, right? People ask you, like, how are you? You don't want to be saying, like, I feel like shit, you know, mm. every five minutes. Because people get tired of that too, you know, and, you, and life keeps going, you know. And my husband was looking after everything. I couldn't, you know, keep saying that to him, right? And I really realized after my fourth session that the physical pain or the physical discomfort or the physical suffering was manageable, but the mental was harder. And I needed to strengthen my mental health because that, you know, I still needed another eight to go. And that's where the key was. And I realized that, you know, I really needed to focus on that. And I think that. When I came out of it, and you know, if anybody's listened to this and they have been recently diagnosed with cancer, you know, people treat you like, oh my God, you have cancer, you know, like, you know, the mm -hmm. pity in their faces are, are not a very nice thing to, to see and to feel. Um, so you have to deal with that with your, within your own self because people kind of, you know, plan your funeral in front of you, like when you tell them that you have cancer and you're going to go for chemo. And, but they still got kind of that support there, you know, like, oh, you know, and then people just, oh, you know, don't worry, you know, just, you know, just eat cakes and just stay in bed and just don't do anything. I, I did completely the opposite. The doctors told me, look, you're going to feel really rough. You're probably not going to feel like doing anything. So just see what you can do. At the time I wasn't working. I decided not to go back to work during chemo and I started kind of reading books researching like and I started going like crazy about like I am going to like conquer this like I am not going to be that person that you know like everybody else is describing you know I just need to focus on getting better each day I'm not going to finish chemo full of side effects and you know and issues and problems and overweight there is a lot of People talk about it, you know, people lose weight during cancer. In actual fact, mm. a lot of people gain weight during chemotherapy, which is a really big problem because, you know, being overweight, it's not a very good position to be in as a, you know, somebody who has had cancer, right? Because it increases your chance for a cancer recurrence. Mm. So I started changing my diet and I started exercising. And I just started reading uh books and 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 podcasts listen to podcasts and youtube channels all about people who had conquered cancer and and i started just going for a walk around the block you know five minutes ten minutes on my worst days i would be dragging myself you know i just need to go for a walk and even that the changing between how i felt physically just going for a walk around the block it made me feel better mentally it made me feel better physically and I really wish, and I know that, and I'm not saying this, you know, that, you know, the doctors, um, you know, it's their fault. They don't have time to say that. I really think that it's up to each individual to take full responsibility of their health. You know, getting a cancer diagnosis is like, is one of the worst things one can go through. So you need to take responsibility. You need to go and, and, and think to yourself, what can I do from this moment on? 
to improve my chances to survive. Not only chemo, but like to live a long life, to create health again, you know, to create strength, to, you know, really it's our responsibility. And that's exactly what I did. On my best days, I would just go for a longer walk, an hour walk. I, I put my bike on a wind train and then I would just go hardcore on my bike. I would do weights. I would do my elastic bands. I would do yoga. I started meditating. You know, and I don't want to, I don't want to sit here and, 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 and say it was easy because it wasn't. I spent a lot of my time in bed. But if I had energy, I was doing something for me. I was doing something for my body. I was doing something for, for my mental health every single day. So I was able to finish the 12 sessions of chemo feeling stronger than I started. I had zero side effects. I've never dealt with the cancer fatigue that people talk about. In actual fact, I had a, a partial hysterectomy three months later, and I just recovered like that. And, you know, I was back and I know I'm 43 now and I feel the healthiest I've ever been. And, and I really, for me, it's like, I felt like it was my mission to tell people, you know, you can do it too. You know, don't feel defeated by it. You know, like cancer can feel like such a, 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 is a dark word. You know, people only talk about fighting and cancer. Mm. You know, people look at yourself with pity. Oh my God, really? You're going to go through, you know, through chemo. And also there is an element of like a failure. You are a failure if, you, if you're diagnosed with cancer. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that. You know, is there something wrong with me? Why did I get cancer? Especially when the doctors tell you, I'm sorry, it was just bad luck. Mm. Sorry, there's so many things that I've kind of talked and covered here, but... I get really passionate about it because I think that we have in us to, to really take charge regardless of where we are. Like I said, you know, I started, I could barely get out of bed, you know, and I started just going for a walk around the block. And it's so easy to think like, but what is that going to do? Well, mm -hmm. that led me to be here today. You know, I, I run with my son, I surf with my son. You know, I, I try my hardest not to let him win on anything, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you know, that's the kind of lifestyle that I want to live now. Um, and, but I started there. I didn't start here. Well, one thing I just wanted to go back on there and Angelica, you know, as we talk about, as we talk about the cancer, um, you know, sometimes the antidote is worse than the poison. Chemotherapy is a, a massive, takes a massive toll on the body what what was even just that side of it like for you um so i would have my chemo sessions every two weeks supposedly i had many delays because your body just can't take it but that is not something that the doctors will tell you at the beginning um you know they just go like oh my god you know you're so young i don't know what's you know you know you don't know what's wrong with your body or you know like they you know some drops of comments like that that are not very helpful but the reality is it's it's like throwing an atomic bomb every two weeks in your body and it, it is it is rough um so i had issues with like platelets you know being too low my white cells being too low i had to have an injection uh, to boost my white cells after 
you know, getting so many delays. They don't like, you know, the doctors don't like you having so many delays because, you know, there is research that shows that the chemo is more effective when you do it, you know, on time every two weeks. Um, that why that, that injection was brutal to my body. It was brutal. Like I would, I would have to inject that myself after 24 hours um, of being disconnected from the pump, like just on my belly and my husband would do that for me. And I could feel it like a, a, a like a, a rush of like it's on the bottom of my spine. My body just, you're basically asking your body to run a marathon of like boosting your white cells, right? And I would feel so much pain here because you, you know, I don't know if you know this, but you, you'll be, you'll make your white cells on uh, your thymus gland around here on your, on uh, here. I would feel it was as if somebody was like pushing like a brick down my chest. And, you know, the doctors would say to me like, I'll oh, just take a paracetamol. <laughs> and I was really connected to my body and I would just lay down. I knew that in those moments, I just had to lay down and I just have to breathe and I just had to be there and just to stay there and be really gentle with myself. And that would also pass. You know, I've learned in the journey, you know, I was so averse to doctors and injections, you know, and here I was every day, you know, like getting injected with something. Pain's part of life. You know, like every, we're all going to go through something, right? Like it's, it's part of life. So sitting with your pain, it's, it's actually an important um, practice, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, you learn a lot about yourself. You know, you really learn a lot about yourself. So um, I didn't want to take one paracetamol if I didn't have to. <laughs> so I became really protective of my body. You know, I was already taking the, the chemo. I was already taking the, the injection to boost my white cells. I was like, that's enough. I will just be gentle. And uh, with food, I would um, really um, help my body with all the side effects. Like I had a little bit of constipation at the beginning. So I started juicing and I stopped all of that instead of taking the sachets that the doctors you know prescribed. So I got really in tune with my body and really in tune with going back to basics. Food is medicine. Rest is medicine. Sleep is medicine. Meditation is medicine. Yoga is medicine. Exercise is medicine. And I just kept going around the circles and doing all of those every single day. It was actually really refreshing. And I mean, this is going to sound like crazy, but I spent for the first time for seven and a half months, I spent every day thinking about me. You know, and if you are a parent, you know what that is like. Like you don't, you know, you never think about <laughs> you first. Mm. So I would wake up and I think, okay, what will I eat today to heal myself? What will I do today to help my mind? What would I listen today to help my mind and soul? And I would just do that, you know, just keep doing that on repeat. And because I really kept so closely together with, you know, those thoughts and practice, I started getting stronger in each session. So I'll have less days in bed and more days feeling good. And everything started compounding. You know, everything started compounding. At the end of my treatment, I had a friend coming to visit me in, uh, from New Zealand. 
And I said to her, like, oh, two weeks after the 12 sessions, I said, oh, let's just go for a bike ride. So we went for a bike ride. And she's like, Angelica, I can't keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> you just finished chemo. I thought I was coming here to help me, to help you, but you were helping me. <laughs> so um, it's really interesting. Once, once you tap into your inner power, into your body power, you know, I, a lot of people talk about, you know, change your mindset. I believe in changing both. And, and you, you know, you're a perfect person to understand this completely. I feel that our patterns, our emotions are down to our cellular level. Mm. You can't change this just with thought. You need to change this with something physical. And that's when the yoga comes into place. That's when the exercise comes into place. That's when the food comes into place. You know, those practices, you start changing what's inside your, you know, energetically in yourself. And, you know, I, I lived through that. I felt this. And for me, like, I'm a living proof of it that it's true. Where do you go after all of that? What, what? How does life change or does it change after that? You go through the cancer, you go through the chemo, you recover. Does does it create a, a, a change in mindset for you at that point, Angelica? Does the you know do you start to reassess life? Where do where do you go from there? Definitely, one of the hardest periods in the whole treatment was the end of treatment. So they tell you, the doctors tell you, okay, here we go, go home. You don't have to come here every two weeks anymore. Now you get checks every three months, go back to your normal life. And you're like, like what? Like how? What do you mean normal life? Most of your, you know, close friends and family, they're like, okay, well, she survived. You know, now she needs to be back at normal. And that was really difficult. And I was lucky that a friend of mine had had a friend who had gone through the same thing. And she said, you know, stay like focused now because this could be one of your hardest times. And I went back to work uh, to my old corporate job. They were really uh, good and they, you know, allowed me to come go back part-time, which was really helpful. But it was, it was, it was really difficult because you go back to the normal world. And I used to work in recruitment. And, and people start complaining about mundane things. And you were like, are you serious? Like, I've just fought for my life for a whole year. And now you can't deal with, you know, your boss or your wife or your colleague, you know, or anything. You know, like, you, it's really, really difficult. But, of course, you can't just become that person that says, like, what are you complaining about? You know, mm. I've just been through this, you know, just be grateful for life. And it, it's really hard for you to get your head around. What does normal look like again? How how am I going to behave in the world again? And you really start reassessing definitely your whole life. Because, you know, your mortality, it really, you face your mortality like head on. And you mm. realize that, you know, this whole idea of I have time, it's just a lie because you don't have time. So you have to start thinking about, okay, is this making me happy? 
is this what I want to do? Is this taking my energy away? Because, you know, at the back of your mind, you're thinking, I don't want to have a cancer recurrence. I can't, you know, go through, I can't be stressed like I was before. I can't go through, you know, life like I was before. I need to change things around. Because if I just go back and do the same things, then I'm going to get the same result. So I went through, a, it was another a kind of level of healing that I kind of embarked on after I sorted out my physical health. I was, I had to go through an emotional healing part, which was healing some, you know, issues that I had from my childhood, my past, forgiveness and all of that, because I knew that that was a big part of my cancer. And then healing my professional life, you know, and what do you want out of life? What do you want to do every single day? You know, like, do you want to drag yourself to a job that you don't love anymore? So it, it, it becomes like part of you. It's like a tattoo that you can't, you can't really, you know, it's like a scar. It becomes part of you, not in a negative way. Mm. For me, it wasn't in a negative way. For me, it was more like, okay, let's just rub it off everything that is in the ball on the board and start all over again, you know, and just open up to a new life, start a new life, start something different, a different way of living, feeling, being. Uh, so that took some time <laughs> and some adjustments. Um, and, you know, but it's like, you know, for me, the biggest lesson out of it is just going back to the beginning. How did I start fixing my physical health? You just put one foot in front of the other. The same thing. How do you sort it out emotional health? Just put one foot in front of the other. How do you sort it out your professional life? Just put one foot in front of the other. You know, as opposed to getting overwhelmed and going back to what's easier, what's comfortable or what you know, but you're not happy with. So you go through all of that, Angelica, you know, you take that step by step. Do you stay in the corporate world? Do you, do you, do you keep living that life and with just a changed mindset or do you do something different? Where do you go from there? So I went back to my job for a year and I started interviewing cancer survivors on YouTube. And I thought, if I can interview people who had a good story, who changed their lives, I'm going to inspire people to doing the same, right? Mm -hmm. For me, it was coming out of that experience and I'm like, why aren't the doctors telling people to exercise? Why aren't the doctors telling people to, you know, eat a clean diet? Why aren't the doctors talking about you know, all this stuff that I did, meditation, yoga. And and for me, it was like, I need, you know, I need to share with people what I've learned. And one of the biggest thing in the cancer world is the negativity that exists in the world, you know, like I said before. And I wanted to bring some positivity around. It doesn't have to be the end of the world. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, like the worst thing that happens in your, happen in your life. So I started interviewing people, interviewing people on YouTube, and I started getting really excited about that. And I started, you know, going from there to like, maybe I should study something. Maybe I should become a coach. Maybe I should. And I've noticed that the days that I was in my corporate job, I felt really drained at the end of the day and I was really tired. But the days that I was working on my projects, I was really excited about life. So we had a, our summer break. And in the summer break, I just said to my husband, I'm going to quit my job. 
I can't do this anymore. And, you know, my husband had come in this journey with me, you know, changing his diet and exercising and doing all the emotional healing for himself and all of that. And I was really lucky that he wanted to come in this journey with me. And he, and he supported me and he said, yes. And I said, I can't, I, you know, health needs to be my priority. Like I promised myself that I was never going to compromise on my health anymore. You know, back to what we spoke at the beginning, you know, I was the first to say it. Health is so important, but not to live it. Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't risk that anymore. I needed to live like I really needed to, to keep doing what I was doing because cancer recurrence is real. And for me, it was really important to, you know, how can I live my best life now? You know, doing the things that don't take my energy away, you know, that doing the things that don't stress me out, doing the things that make me happy. Mm. Because it's so easy to think, you know, I've got time, but we don't really. The, the sense I get, Angelica, is you really seem uh, to be a proponent of being active in your recovery, you know, not just passive, go along, take your chemo go along, get your chemo, you know, really taking, really taking a solid stance and an active part in recovering. Yeah, exactly. Taking charge of your own health and and your own mindset. Exactly. And not wait until the end. I mean, if I had let my body just go for seven and a half months, I would, I would have finished chemotherapy feeling like so, so, tired and sick and unwell right but i strengthened my body in the process you know i kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger and i think a lot of people that believe in holistic health or natural you know healing tools and methods they're very quick to judge the conventional medicine right while the doctors you know telling people mm. they need to the clean diet or exercise. There is a lot more talks around exercise and cancer these days. But let's face it. You know, if the doctors tell people you've got cancer, you need to change your diet and you need to exercise daily, most people are going to say, I'm not doing that. You know, that's the reality that the world that we live in. You know, people don't want to change. You know, Mm -hmm. they want to stay comfortable. So, and this is when I believe that it's really important for each person to take responsibility of their own health. They are doing their job. The job of the oncologist was to give me the strongest chemo, to calculate the, you know, my weight, my height, and the, you know, the dosage and this and then the other, to make sure that I didn't have any side effects, to make sure that I was okay. That was it. His job is not to, you know, go into the detail of my emotional state and what I should eat for the constipation or what I should, you know, do. And, you know, it's not his job. It is my job to take responsibility, you know, and, and, and really start taking different actions and then think, okay, well, I'm 38 years old. I got cancer and they're telling me it's bad luck. It can't be bad luck. I must have done something along the way that it's not serving me. Right? How can I eliminate those things? And I'm not saying that people need to go all in like I did, but you know, I have worked with people that with a few changes you can feel better, you know, physically, you know, like 
you know, drinking a few juices a day, you know, just eating more vegetables, going for walks, you know, just little things. You know, our bodies are so resilient. You know that, right? Like our bodies are incredibly resilient. Mm -hmm. resilient. I have such a big respect for my body today, you know, these days, because I mean, what he went through, it was like, oh my God. And he was still here for me. Even after all the abuse that I did mm -hmm. before the cancer, if, even after all the chemo, you're still giving. One of the things I took from my own surgery and from my own tumor, and it was something I used to say, and I think we kind of learned it in COVID as well. You know, I went in there and I've got a, I've got a scar on my spine. I think I've got a picture. I'll, I'll throw it up into the, into the video here. It's probably about, probably about that size, maybe about, about six inches. Yeah. Surgery comes in, you know, and you know, I was delighted because he was, you know, your typical, your, your typical surgeon, like, you know, yeah. total narcissist, I would imagine. But he comes in and he's looking, I go, yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. And he's, yeah. he's admiring his handiwork. <laughs> But you know, I get cut open. So basically, to cut open my spine, uh, to cut a bit of the bone off, I think, and then to go in and the, uh, you know, kind of cut the bone off, take that bit off, go in, cut out the tumor, it attach itself to some nerves, put the bone back on, stitch it back up. And wow. one one of the things that that absolutely fascinated me about the human body was, you know, I I had the surgery on the Monday. And I had to lay flat then for 24 hours in case I leak spinal fluid and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And they had me up walking yeah. on Wednesday, you know, now walking, wow. I mean, hobbled, hobbled, hobbled to the toilet. Um, and I just remember thinking like, Jesus Christ, I've literally gone in there they've cut me open, stitched me back up and I'm back again. But yeah, I was also absolutely crippled by, I think it was yeah. a two centimeter tumor the pain that I went through, you know, we, we have COVID, you know, we got this thing we can't even see that yeah. can debilitate and kill us as well. So uh, the thing for me was always, it's remarkable how fragile and yet how resilient yeah. the human body is. Yes. Exactly, you go through all yeah. of that, you're getting that poison I, pumped through you, you, you know, you get, you undergo all that surgery, your bowel, and then you're up and you're, <laughs> you know, you're living such an active life now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you talk about, like, what it is like, like, to hear that, you know, like, you, you have cancer. I went to see uh, my pastor in, in the church that I go to. Uh, he said I could come in because, you know, he saw that I was sick and I'll have a chat with you. And at that point, I was still, it was still very raw. It was a, in between my, my, my surgery and chemo starting or very the early beginnings. And I kind of, you know, sobbing, I said to him, like, you know, I've got cancer, it's stage three, um, you know, and, and I've got to live for my kids, you know, they're only six and four. And he said that and he looked at me and he said, mm-hmm. And he said to me, Angelica, what do you think is going to happen if you die? And you know, when somebody asks you a question, you don't want to, <laughs> you know, you, you start thinking, you know, like, I just need to answer this, you know, like, I stopped and I thought, so I started imagining, you know, like my kids' lives without me, you know, my husband telling them, you know, mom is dead, you know, my kids crying, them going to my funeral, them going to school, growing up without mom, you know, their first boyfriends, parties, weddings. Mm. And I just looked at him and I said, well, I suppose nothing's going to happen. They're going to have to keep living. And he said, yeah. 
And, you know, that could be quite kind of harsh for some people, but that's exactly what I needed to hear. For me, it was just like the fear of death just kind of left from my body and from my shoulders. And I went like, yeah, like I can't control that. Like I could die tomorrow, you know, in a car crash or in something else, Mm. right? Life is now and I can't keep worrying about that and not living the today. And, you know, I left his little office and I just kind of thought, I'm just as happy as I can be. I feel so relieved. You know, we get so caught up in the wrong focus, right? Like in the wrong things, in the wrong, like I said, you know, life is so fragile. You know, like one day I was in, in, in my office, the next day I was in hospital and I never went back, you know, for a whole year, you know, like this is it. It's very fragile. Mm. You know, when the people in my office heard about it, they were like, what, how? Like she was here like yesterday, you know, like that's not possible. You know, like, you know, she looks so young and she's so young and like, you know, she looked so normal, you know, life is very, like I said, very, very, very fragile, but our bodies are incredibly resilient. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you know, having that talk with your pastor and talking about your kids and stuff like that and the life that they would have to live. Um, I think I think one thing that for, that gets forgotten about and maybe it's something you can you can speak to is what's it like for your husband and your kids? Because they're going through that cancer journey with you. What, what, I mean, does that, uh, does that take a toll on the relationship? Does that take a toll on your children? What What's life like for those around you at that time? Yeah, that's a very good point, especially if somebody's listening to this podcast right now and is going through it. Um, as we didn't have any family here, my husband was doing everything and I have an amazing husband. I'm very lucky. And um, it took a massive toll on him. Um because I could see in his eyes some days he didn't know if I was going to make the night. I I spent, you know, a lot of days that I would be like, okay, I, you have to take me to an emergency because I don't feel well. You know, during cancer treatment, your body is very fragile. And, you know, they kind of tell you, look, if you feel anything different, you just come to emergency. So you kind of, you are on alert all the time. Mm-hmm. By the time the seven and a half months finish of treatment, he kind of broke down. But at the time... I was about to go back to normal world. And I kind of said to him, you need to get help somewhere else. I haven't got any to help you. And I think it's really important to, for people to know that the care is suffering as much as you, if, if anything, they're suffering more because they can't do anything. They don't know how you're feeling. Like my husband would, Mm. you know, feel really like when I would go, I would go quiet straight after a couple of days after the treatment and he'll be like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? But I was just going inwards to just to, to be very close to what I was feeling because if I needed to go to emergency, I needed to know what I needed to do. And he'll be like, are you okay? Are you okay? Is everything okay? You know, like, because, you know, he didn't know. He, for him, was completely like out of control, right? Because he, he didn't know anything. And for my kids who were six and four, we chose to, being very honest with them, we read books from the hospitals, you know, that kind of talked, you know, kind of in the kids' language at their level at the time. Mm. Um, and we told them, like, mommy's going to be very tired. And, you know, what mommy has is, you know, it's serious. 
and I'm going to go through, you know, the treatment is, you know, it's going to be challenging, but we kept very positive. And because we were so positive, I think the kids were, you know, became positive as well about it. You know, they didn't, we, I know I didn't have any anxiety. I didn't have anything like that because I knew I was doing everything I could every day. You know, and I think that's an important thing as well for people to, you know, when a lot of people have anxiety even after for, you know, the scans that you have to go through. I really feel that once you empower yourself and you start taking different action, you know, the anxiety reduces so much because you know you're doing everything you can. Now, we did take them to the psychologist just to double check that they were okay, you know, mm-hmm. and, and my daughter, interesting enough, so my son was six and she was four. So by the time we took her, she was five. Um, I shaved my hair because I lost a lot of my hair, and um, which is not very common in bar cancer, but I did. My kids were in the bath the day that I decided to shave my hair. And I said to them, mommy's going to shave her hair. And they were like, what? Like now? And I was like, yeah, like now. Um, and I was... I did. I I thought it was, it was one of the hardest things that I had to go through. I'm not very vain, but losing your hair as a woman was very difficult. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, I kept hiding, you know, with beanies and here is so hot. It was winter, but it's still hot. And, and I thought, this is pathetic. I've got patches now and I don't want to be doing this anymore. I'm just going to shave it. And I asked my husband to do it. And we, you know, my husband did it in front of the kids so, you know, they didn't think anything of it. But when my daughter went to the psychologist, she said, um, I, ha- I have difficulties to go to bed every night because I, I think what's going to happen for, with what's going to happen with me and my brother if my mom and dad died. And she said, and I want my mom's hair to grow. She said it like that straight up. And my head was just like short at a time. And uh, the psychologist was, she was excellent. And she came in and she's like, Angelica, she, in five minutes, you left the room. She told me like straight up like that. And, and I'm sitting there, you know, and she's like, okay, Valentina, just talk me through it. You know, we'll, we, let's talk to mommy. What we talked about, you know, you've said that, you know, you can't sleep at night because, you know, you're concerned that mommy and daddy might die and where you and your brother are going to go, which is a big concept for somebody who is five mm. to be thinking about. Right. And, um, you know, and, you know, mommy and daddy are going to talk about uh, to make some arrangements if that happens. But, you know, it's not something that you should worry about because right now mommy's well and mommy's looking after herself. I don't know, as a psychologist is saying that to me and I'm like, I'm like mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to hold myself together thinking, okay, I will. And, you know, and she said, and mommy's also, you know, growing her hair and, and, you know, we, Everything that I learned in the journey, I really explained to my kids and I talked to them at their level. We change, I changed their diet alongside mine and my husband's. When they wake up every day, I am either doing my yoga or my weights or my cardio. So they want to do exercise. They want to do, live a healthy life. You know, if if we are in a party and they, they're like, oh, mommy, do you want a piece of cake or do you want to drink a glass of champagne? I will tell them, mommy doesn't drink alcohol anymore. And you know that and you know that I don't drink alcohol anymore because what I went through was pretty serious. Mm. And I'm not asking everybody to do that, but just in my case, 
it's best that I don't do it. So it's kind of really guiding them, like being honest with them, but also leading them by example, because the lives that we were living before, although, you know, we think that it was healthy, I now know it wasn't. And I want my kids to be well-equipped to understand what, what being healthy means and what it takes. Because being healthy these days is not easy. Right? There is sugar everywhere. There is crap mm. food everywhere. There is alcohol. There is soft drinks. There is, there is temptation everywhere. And I think it's, you know, it, it takes some knowledge. It takes some practice. It takes some understanding to know what you need to do each day right? To keep yourself healthy. It's like anything, you know, like if you're not doing something daily, your health is just going downhill, right? You're not going to not work on your business, are you? You're not going to just not work on your job or, you know, it's the same thing. People think like, ah, oh, you know, I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's a matter of like, what can I do each day that it's going to help my health to keep going forward? So I have instilled that them, that in them. And, you know, they are so happy. You know, they're very mature for their age. You know, they're very uh, resilient. I think that really creates a lot of resilience in them. They're very positive. Um, and I think, you know, that helped them to grow up a bit quicker for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it definitely has taken a toll. But, you know, we really focus on all the positive side, you know, the positives that came out of it. Yeah. You changed your life, Angelica. You went through a life-changing experience. You changed your life. Uh, can you tell people where they can find you online? I know you've got your coaching. You mentioned your, your YouTube channel as well. Where can, where can people find you online? Yeah, so I am on Facebook, on LinkedIn and on YouTube. Um, so it's Angelica Allen, um, and I've got a website as well. Uh, but yes, uh, I can give you the, you know, the details and you can add to, I'll I'll stick them up on the, I'll stick them up on the video here. And for our listeners, that's Angelica Allen, but it's Allen with A-L-E-N. So you want one L in in Allen and people can find you there and I'll, I'll have the link for the, for the website and all of that. Before we leave the last words of wisdom with Angelica. What a story she's had to tell. A woman that's faced her own mortality, as you said, and the, and the life lesson she's taken from that. So you know you want to stick around for her words of wisdom. Before we go, you know what I'm going to do, folks? I'm going to do that last plug on the social media. You know what it is by now. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, blah, 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 at STMH Podcast. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is also at STMH Podcast. If you've liked what you've heard, if you've taken anything from Angelica's story, if you've got your own experience of cancer, please comment down below or just DM me on any of the social media or comment on any of the posts that you may see shared across the social media over the next couple of weeks. That's going to that's going to mean a lot to me to hear from you. Let me know what you went through. If you haven't already, please check out the website, www.stmhpodcast.com. And if you want to come on and tell your story, or you want to email your correspondence, or you want to email your story, then you know what to do. The email for that is hello at stmhpodcast.com. Thank you very much, folks. Thank you for sticking around and joining us again for the latest episode of the Straight Talk on Mental Health Podcast. The next episode of the podcast will be out in two weeks' time, so you know what that means. It'll be out, same bad time, same bad channel. But in the meantime, Look after yourselves and look after each other, folks. One of the things we ask of every guest that comes on, Angelica, 
is to share some words of wisdom, some life learnings, some, if there's a motto or a creed or anything like that, that they live their life by. You've gone through an awful lot. I take it you've learned a lot from that experience. But is, is there anything that you'd, you'd like to share uh, with the listeners before we before we go? I think these days for me is that I see a lot of people not living the life that they want because they think they have time or they haven't got the courage to do in that. And for me, it took like facing my own mortality to realize, you know, I don't have a lot of time. And I am the only one who can create the life that I want and I need to do it now. So it's really kind of taking life by the horns and going, I'm going all in, you know, and I'm just going to go all in every single day. Health.